I watched a documentary recently about a famously abusive relationship. The victim said this, quote, I was going to go out on my own, and he decided to let me know what the arrangements would be. He beat me with a shoe stretcher, and after that, he made me go to bed and have sex with him when I was all swollen. And that was the beginning of the torture. And then, right back on stage, I felt obligated to stay, and I was afraid. I felt very loyal to Ike. Sometimes after he beat me up, I felt sorry for him. I'm sitting there all bruised and torn, and I'm feeling sorry for him. I was brainwashed. I cared about him. I was caught up in the guilt and fear. Those are the words of Tina Turner. Domestic violence is the same wherever it occurs. It looks no different in a better zip code. Money won't make it better, and a victim's behavior isn't what makes it worse. It's always about one thing and only one thing. The abuser. If these people take any mail from you, they give you a letter showing why they took your mail. So these are the things that I can do without in my life. I don't need my emotions being caught up in bullcrap. Stop playing. I mean, you, you, if you, if you sent me mail from your address, I would get it. Or they would send me something saying they sent this mail back for this reason. I can do without those emotional roller coasters. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's just their their lives. You know what I'm saying? And the girl ain't sent me mail in four months. If she would have tried to send me mail, they would have gave me a letter saying why I ain't get my mail. You been knowing me 35 years of my life. And you of all people know that my emotions is, you know what I'm saying, I ain't, when it comes to that, I, I, I'm kind of emotional for a dude. Like, you've been with me my whole life, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, I mean, some of the things you do, it, 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 it frustrates me a little bit. Like, you play, it's like you play like puppet master, like, you try to guard in situations against my emotions, but it seems like to me, like, you, you never help my emotions, never. This season, Andrela Witcher has done an effective job of telling us who he is, in his own words. In case you missed it in that last clip, Andrelo characterized his inability to regulate his emotions as a birth defect, and suggested that people around him should act a certain way so as to not 
affect his emotions. In this instance, he was upset that he didn't receive letters that he expected to get, and he spent this call, like many others, blaming everyone else, his mom or the woman who was supposed to have sent the letters, and getting angry over small issues that most emotionally healthy individuals learn to regulate at a much younger age. At its core, it's about his lack of control over his own emotions, and in the cases of the women who were unlucky enough to cross his path, that lack of emotional regulation on his part led to them being violently abused. But he continues to blame others for that lack of control. And it's not just about the violence. Here he is talking to his daughter. I ain't gonna be here forever. You're still a child. You're a child. You're still a child. You was 15 years old. You was not an adult. I don't know who you've been hanging around, but um, you oh I, I'm not. You was a you was a freaking child, man. You only 15 years old. You haven't even begun to live yet. So I don't know where you get this crap at talking about you. You oh you, you you 15 man. You 15 years old. 15. That's 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 a child. He's right. A 15 year old girl is a child, which makes his statement grossly ironic, given that he was charged with lewd and lascivious battery on a 13 year old when he was 23, and he's a sex offender because of it. Jessica Green is another female that Andrea Witcher came in contact with who he left worse for having known him. I have made a choice to cover Jessica's case as a standalone season, which will follow this season. I think police might have persons of interest in that case, but I'm not sure, due to the nature of how that information came to police and the fact that there has been no arrest, I can't rule out that Andrelo had something to do with her death as well. Why? Well, because there's evidence that Andrelo was mad enough at Jessica to threaten her life. You recall Dee from the episode that I outlined about the vicious abuse that she endured at the hands of Andrelo? Well, she had some information about Jessica. Because what happened with the underage girl and Andrelo occurred in their residence when she was out one day. Dee came home one night after getting her hair done and there were condoms all over her bathroom and her bed. She confronted him about it and he said, it wasn't me. I let your cousin use our room so he could be with somebody. It will turn out that was partly true, but Andrelo was present as well. Two adult males with two 13-year-old kids in the bedroom together at the same time. Andrelo alleges that he thought she was of age, but I have seen a picture of 13-year-old Jessica Green, and I can tell you with absolute certainty that she did not look old enough to be in that situation. She looked like a kid just like he told his own daughter she was when she was two years older than Jessica Green when he encountered her. Dee didn't believe his story, and she called him a liar. Andrelo beat her for asking about it. Not long after that, law enforcement showed up at their door. True to form, Andrelo jumped the balcony and fled the scene. The detective kept coming back and calling, trying to track Andrelo down. It bothered Dee because she knew something inappropriate had occurred, so she went to the police station, and she asked for the report related to the event. Essentially, the report outlines how two underage girls were picked up and driven to this address by different adult males. Andrelo and Dee's cousin both ended up with lewd and lascivious battery charges. 
After reading the report, Dee again confronted Andrelo. His response was to call her a bitch and a whore. During one of their arguments about this incident, Andrelo said to Dee, If I get in trouble because of this, I'm going to kill that bitch. The bitch he was referring to was 13-year-old Jessica Green. Even more disturbing is the fact that Dee told police she saw pictures of Jessica Green in Andrelo's phone. She asked him, Who is this girl? She looks young. Why is she sending you naked pictures? I've gone over the report related to this incident, and Andrelo never told police that he knew Jessica prior to the event, so there's got to be a whole lot more we'll never know about their interactions if he's got pictures of her on his phone. Unfortunately, we can't ask Jessica, because she's no longer alive. Five years after her encounter with Andrelo, Jessica was the victim of a home invasion robbery in 2007, where she was shot and killed. Just so you understand, this event occurred just a couple weeks after Heather McCrossan went missing. Nineteen days, to be exact. Timelines are important, and I always do a timeline of events when I research cases, particularly with multiple victims. It helps me see the broader picture. In this case, Andrelo is married to Dee when he has the encounter with Jessica Green while she's 13 years old. Dee is still with him, and he begins dating Heather McCrossin. And around the same time, Jessica Green is murdered. There's a lot that we don't know, but one thing we do know is that Andrelo Witcher's violent behavior was at its peak during this time. He was beating the shit out of both Dee and Heather. He was enraged about the sex offender status, which required he register every time he moved, and that was something that he constantly failed to do. So anytime he got popped for anything, it would come up. That charge was a constant thorn in his side, and certainly motive enough for Andrelo to harm Jessica. We know that with both Heather and Camry, before they went missing, he blamed pending charges against him on them, and he blamed his sex offender status on Jessica Green. I don't know if Andrelo was involved in Jessica's murder, but there's enough evidence to suggest that other suspects could have been. So I don't want to include it in this season related to cases where I feel it is much more likely that he is the perpetrator. I'd rather give Jessica's case its own space and time so I can delve into that. So at the conclusion of this season, I urge you to listen to the episodes on Jessica's case. There's something that I want to say, and this is mostly for anyone with the temerity to suggest that these women were not telling the truth. Because it seems some family members refused to believe that Andrelo was a violent abuser because they didn't see the abuse happening in front of them. There is even one of Andrelo's victims who insisted to me that she wasn't one of his victims. On one of the jail calls, she said that police had fabricated that report, despite the fact that Andrelo's own cousin told investigators that Andrelo admitted to him that he had beat her. By name, he admitted it. I played that audio for you, albeit with her name beeped out. Turtle said, I guess she was scared of him. That was the time that he said that Andrelo came to him crying, upset at what he had done to her. In every instance, these women had witnesses who could back up what they said about the abuse. They had family or friends that had seen their battered bodies and been told specifics about the incident. With every woman, there was at least one police report, and some of them there were many. So, in order to believe Andrelo, you'd have to believe that all of the women lied, 
all of them. And if that's where you fall in this scenario, might I suggest that that is a you problem, and you need to take that up with yourself, or your God, or whoever it is that keeps your own gut in check. There was a report associated with the sexual assault of Heather McCrossan that I found as upsetting as it was telling. After taking her statement and getting her off to the hospital, the responding officer headed to Andrelo's mother's house, where he was told that Andrelo was staying. While doing so, he spotted Andrelo's gold Lincoln Town car. So he called for backup because they were told during that investigation that he was known to be armed. Once they responded, the team set up at the entrance to the subdivision. While they were gathered there formulating their plan, they observed a vehicle matching the description of his mother's vehicle approaching the exit. Weapons were drawn, and they ordered the vehicle to stop. Andrelo's mom was driving, and Andrelo was lying down in the back of her SUV, attempting to conceal himself. She was clearly trying to get him away from her residence, because he knew that if he drove his own car, they would locate him more easily. This is all happening, mind you, around 2.30 in the morning. This wasn't some afternoon jaunt to the mall. That report is, in a word, bananas. I could tell you all about how he and his mom said Heather was lying about the rape to ruin his life, and how Andrelo had a sob story for the responding officers, including how he loved Heather and he couldn't leave her. How Andrelo, the guy who sells drugs, told police that he was giving Heather drug tests to try to get her off them and how their argument that night was about her cheating on him. I could tell you how he told the officer who later questioned him at the station that he'd recently broken up with Heather and was in the process of getting back with his wife, which completely contradicts him telling the earlier officer that he loved Heather and couldn't leave her. I could tell you that he told the officer at the station that Heather looked like a slut when he went over to her apartment that night, but that got him horny, and they had consensual sex, or that Heather tried to show him some money that she said she had in her purse, but he snatched her purse away and saw no money inside, clearly a way to suggest that he hadn't robbed her of money. I could tell you that he said he was only in his mom's car because he convinced her to drive him back to his job at the kangaroo gas station to clock out. I'm not sure why he would need to be hiding in the back to do that, but seriously, I could tell you all the details about his absolutely ridiculous story, most of which makes no logical sense, but I am just done with his nonsense at this point. I'm done. His mom was pretty much done that night, too. When officers asked her to consent to search her home, in addition to his gold Lincoln, she refused that home search, as is her right. But she told them if they wanted to take his car, they could take it. I just want to go to bed, she told them, saying that she was tired of her son's actions. She drove her vehicle back to her residence found Andrelo's keys, brought them back to the officers, backed his car out of her garage, and then she was done. But she really wasn't. It would be six more years before Camry Mitchell went missing, and a few more before Andrelo was arrested and charged with manslaughter in Heather McCrossin's case. Through it all, she supported her son as most of us would our own kids, but I can't help believing that her life is better for her son having been incarcerated. At the very least, she's not going to get another 2 a.m. visit from a son who's running 
from the last crime he committed, while perfectly willing to drag everyone else into his mess. I know from experience, see, this is what you fail to realize. I mean, and I ain't trying to preach to you or nothing, but, and I told you once again, once, I mean, I told you before, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to tell you something. You were so on fire for God. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to just give it to you. You might not want to hear it, but I mean, I'm going to have to give it to you all. You know what I'm saying? Anytime that you've been on fire for God, when you first started your walk, you was on fire for God. You was getting revelations from the Holy Spirit that were touching your heart, and you changed a lot of things about your life. But hold on, you you saying that you still are, but listen, how you was on fire, you're not on fire no more. I mean, and you can you can say what you want to say. I'm gonna tell you what's going to happen in your life. Circumstances going to take place that's going to break you down and bring you back to repentance. You deny, I know, God has blessed me with the spirit of discernment. I know things. That's just a talented gift. I know when somebody's on fire for God. It's just a gift that God has given me. And you made a commitment to God. But the commitment you made to me, you made a commitment that you was going to continue to stay on that path. You see how slowly Satan has drifted you away from that position where you once were. That drifting away is going to bring forth consequences. You allow things in your life to take precedent on what's important. You can deny it all you want, but I know, you know, I don't been there. You know what I'm saying? I know how it is. I mean, thank God that you're not dead or any other tragic thing having took place because some people have to die and some people have to go through a lot of tragic things to be brought back to repentance. God is going to bring you through repentance, through chastising. Listen, he led you to a church that you refused to yield to because of stubbornness. He led you around people, the apples of gold, that you refused to continue to fellowship with. He placed you where he wanted to place yourself, you know what I'm saying, so that we can grow. Now, had you continued to be led by the Spirit, you would have grown and God would have opened more doors for you. Due to the fact that you was a beginner Christian and Satan used craftiness and deceit to distract you, he slowly pushed you away from that position to where you once were because he's seen the danger that you possess to the kingdom of God. You can huh? all you want. I was once like that. I know you're not where you used to be at. I know Satan has drifted you away, and I know God is going to chastise you. And when God chastises you, it's not pleasant. If you think for one second that you can be disobedient to the known word and known will of God, you got another thing coming, sweetheart. Yeah, and, and you know, that's, that's how you always act. You always act like that. Back when investigator Kevin Allen went to try and interview Andrelo in prison, before they charged him, he had been told by one of the officers supervising him that Andrelo was, quote, at the conviction stage of his rehabilitation. Apparently, in this context, conviction is a religious phase that is supposed to mean the offender is coming to terms with their past transgressions. Notably, it's in this stage that the offender is supposed to be focusing on redemption and personal responsibility for one's sins through confession. I think that any conviction stage Andrelo Witcher may have reached is window dressing at best. 
He talks a lot about God and the Word and the enemy. There's always an enemy lurking around the corner, making him do bad things. But as far as I can see, in 757 jail calls, he not once said he was sorry for abusing multiple women. He never even mentioned it. And he sure hasn't admitted to the crime he was convicted for, killing Heather McCrossin and disposing of her body. I hate to even say it, because I know some people are going to take it wrong, but as I listened to him over and over in those hundreds of calls, talking about God, he actually made God sound like a domestic abuser. Consider how his words sound like a controlling male who is letting you know it's his way or the highway. And in this case, the highway in question involved chastisement and repentance and obedience. I don't know. If I were to guess, and I am no scholar on the word or God, there's not much more offensive to God than someone cloaking themselves in his word for the purposes of those watching from the outside. We see the term lost girls a lot, often referring to the -the on-the-nose description of women who have gone missing for any number of reasons. But the phrase lost girls can also speak to women lost in the periphery, in places where predators loiter in search of souls who have been made more vulnerable for them having succumbed to the disease of addiction. But these women aren't lost. Heather and Camry and Yvonne, they were murdered and then secreted away with the specific intent of never being found. I have thought about them a lot over the past few months, about those three locations out there right now, places where a breeze might blow or the sun might shine or water might ripple right above the spot where they now lay. Three places waiting to be found. Three places where if I knew the exact location, I could type it into my phone. I could hit a button and instantly get driving directions. Three places. Three souls. Three universes of family and friends with grief and burdens too deep and engulfing for most of us to understand. Three people who did not deserve to be discarded like trash in an effort to hide the misdeeds of someone else. That is not okay. It shouldn't be okay with any of us. Because if it was one of our own, one of our loved ones, we wouldn't be okay with it. I believe there are others besides Andrelo who know exactly where these three places are, where these three women were left. In every one of these circumstances, there were other people with Andrelo prior to when the women were last seen. People who may have even seen the murders occur or assisted with hiding their bodies. Which means there are possibly other people who those people told, while bragging or in whispers, perhaps during the reflection that a drug-induced haze can often elicit. Bravado, regret, and desperate unease, sometimes they come at the end of a needle or a pipe or a pill. To the people out there who know, That information that you have shouldn't die in your ears, and I can promise you this, it will not die in your memories. There may be events we can push to the edges of our minds, but murder is not one of those things. It's one of those things that tends to curl those edges back like a piece of paper lit with a match, just before it's enveloped in flames. 
Now, whether you choose to speak about these things or not, I guess that depends entirely on who you are and what you want your time on this earth to mean. Because in the end, I think most people want to do the right thing. I actually think most people need to do it. So to the people who know that information, the ones who have been waiting for a time to release what they know, because they have surely figured out by now it's never going to release them, I sure hope that you can hear my voice. You should know that very few people in life will ever be presented with the blessing that has been bestowed upon you, although I'm guessing it doesn't feel much like a blessing right now. I get it. But maybe I can encourage you to look at it another way. Most of us will never get the opportunity to give someone else something as meaningful as resolution. And most of us will never know the feeling of being the answer to someone else's prayer. I know that we live in a world where it feels like nobody ever does anything unless they can get something out of it, something tangible that makes them feel like it wasn't for nothing. But doing the right thing is as much for you as it is for anyone else, because it's you that you have to live with when everything else falls away. You have to be okay with you. One more thing. All of the women I discussed in this series, Andrelo's victims, the women married to his uncle and cousin, his mom, these are all strong, beautiful women. They all work, and they have raised their kids. They're good people who have contributed positively to society and the people around them, despite what the men in their lives have done. The men are another story. Hell, they are apparently not even loyal to one another. Remember the incident I told you about where the uncle gave Turtle's name and date of birth to police when he literally got caught with his pants down? Andrelo himself told his mom on one of those jail calls that he was a snitch. What do you mean when you turned over everything? The women abused by Andrelo, the ones still living, are survivors, strong and tenacious. I referred to them as victims throughout the season so you understood the context, but in the end they are survivors and should be proud of their lives and their abilities to move forward and thrive, despite their association with him. I want to mention Dee in particular, and again that's not her real name, but what Dee went through was just gutting to listen to. I hope that today she feels some measure of pride in the knowledge that of all the women that Andrela Witcher abused, she came forward and spoke her truth, despite trauma so deep, I suspect it will always live within her. I was amazed at her ferocious courage and grace. Grace isn't just poise or a blessing we say before a meal. Grace is a showing of honor, in this case to herself, an acknowledgement of her journey, her fight, her worth, her amazing grace. Amazing.
you have any information about the disappearances of Heather McCrossin, Camry Mitchell, or Yvonne Belcher, please reach out to me at DeckerJenny at gmail.com. That's D-E-C-K-E-R-J-E-N-I at gmail.com. And I can direct you to the appropriate law enforcement agency. I will post the law enforcement contact information for each of these cases on the Down and Away Facebook page. And finally, for any law enforcement agencies that are looking to have one of your cold cases spotlighted in depth in a multi-episode format, feel free to reach out. I'd be happy to help. The amazing music used in episodes this season was courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. And now I will leave you in the capable hands of the Gospel Touch Choir.